0: The fourth ser- sermon in this series of five. We've been taking a look at fundamental principles when it comes to living a Christian life. Principles like we cannot do life alone, we need to spend time with other Christians who help us to become better people. Principles like growing people are people who are changing. We think about the changes that come to our life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we've talked about how it is that saved people are people who serve other people. Jesus said, If you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. others today we turn our attention to a fourth foundational principle and that is that found people find people let's have a word of prayer May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee O Lord our God our rock and our Redeemer amen it was a Monday morning that sealed the deal Jesus arrived at the temple and there in the courtyard of the temple started turning over the tables of the money changers, challenging the corruption of the high priest who was making an exorbitant profit on the backs of the poor. Jesus shouted out, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves as he disrupted the business of the day. And well, that sealed the deal. The religious leaders, They'd been aware of Jesus for a very long time, but now they had no choice but to act what to do. They couldn't just go and arrest him. He had a big crowd of people who were around him, people who came to hear what he had to say, to see what he was going to do, and they were afraid that if they grabbed him then, a riot would break out. And given that Jerusalem was filled with Roman soldiers who'd come to make certain and squelch any jewish uprising during the passover week the religious leaders knew a riot especially there in the court of the temple that would not go well for them so they came up with a new plan later that day on monday they started scripting their plan they decided that they were going to send one group of religious leaders after another each with a question to ask Jesus the next time they saw him. Their questions were well-crafted questions, questions for which there was no good answer. You know, questions like, is it rightful to pay taxes to Caesar? If Jesus were to say yes, the crowd would turn against him. If he was to say no, the Romans would arrest him. Problem solved. So they crafted these questions with no good answer, and then they waited. It was Tuesday morning when Jesus showed up again. And the religious leaders enacted their plan as one group of religious leaders after another approached Jesus with their question. And, and this plan, this strategy might have worked if it was somebody other than Jesus, but this was Jesus they were talking to. And so with every question that they asked, Jesus responded with a question of his own. And his questions began to undo the religious leaders, started to show character of their heart, what was really going on inside of them. It became evident for everyone, which made them all the angrier. And then finally came the last question. After the chief priests and the elders, after the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had all had their turn at Jesus, an interpreter of the law came up and asked him a final question. He said, Jesus, Tell me, what's the greatest law of them all? And much to the surprise of the person asking the question, to the surprise of everybody who was gathered around, this time Jesus actually answered the question. It was the first time all day long that he didn't respond with his own question, but actually answered. As he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who can argue with that? I mean, who can argue with there being one, you know, the affirmation There's one and only one God whom we are to love and who wants us to love other people. All the interpreter of the law could say was, well, that's a pretty good answer, Jesus. And everybody there knew it was a pretty good answer. And the religious leaders knew that everybody there knew that was not what they were doing. They were not loving others. That was not what was in their heart. So all they could do after Jesus responded, all they could do was disappear into the shadows. And that's what they did. They did not talk to Jesus again. Not until after he had been arrested and was on trial. And even then, when they dared to speak to him, it was only under the darkness of night when there was nobody around. He was arrested at night. His trial was at night because they knew they could not stand up in the light of day. Everybody could see who they really were and what they were about. Back to Jesus' words. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this word love is tossed around a lot. Jesus spoke about it a lot. And his words, not only did they summarize all of Jewish law, they summarized all of his teaching. And they became the very definition of what it means to be a Christian. I mean, we got it written on our wall when you walk in the lobby. You know, we develop deeply committed followers of Jesus Christ, people who love God and who love others. And because of this love, we know it brings transformation to our world. It's who Christians are. It's what we're about, this love. But this word love is tossed around a lot, and sometimes it means a little, and sometimes it means a lot. And to understand what Jesus means with it, we need to look back at his teaching because again this loving God and loving others is a summary of all that he taught a lawyer asked him once who is my neighbor and Jesus told him a parable the parable of the Good Samaritan as he helped us think about how instead of asking who is our neighbor that we need to learn to be neighbors and to meet people right where they are at and to address their real needs to care for them in very real and concrete ways that's the stuff of love. So too is forgiveness as he taught, judge not and forgive others as you've been forgiven. And he taught too that you cannot put limits on love. I mean, we live in a world that's really good at putting limits on love. We love our people, right? We love our people, but other people, not so much. But Jesus wanted us to understand that love isn't something that you can put limits on. It's a condition of the heart. And it extends beyond any kind of limitation that we might put to the point where he even said, love your enemies, at least pray for them. At least pray for them. He taught that love always strives for unity. It always stands up for justice. It always works for peace, for the well-being of other people. And because he established it as the priority. First, love God and love other people. Anything else that becomes more important than love is taking us down the wrong path, leading us somewhere that we really don't want to go on a path of destruction itself. See, that was the problem of the religious leaders. They had things that were more important to them than love. And that was becoming clear in Jesus' questioning of them. They loved money more than they loved God or people. Their power and their place within the community was more important to them than love. For some of them, having right belief was more important than love. For some, being right was more important than love. And whenever money or power or place in community or even right belief and needing to be right When those things become more important than love, well, human life becomes a bit expendable. Jesus was hung on a cross. And there he died. Ah, but we know the power of love, don't we? The power of love to overcome. And so Christ was raised from the dead. On the third day, he rose from the grave, Easter morning. And a short time later, he met with his disciples up on top of a hill and he told them to go and make disciples of all people, teaching them what I have commanded and baptizing them. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his followers, You will be my witnesses to all the world. And therein we learn something more about the character of this love, of loving God and loving others, to care about others enough to be willing to share. The good news of Jesus Christ with them. Now we're good at sharing news. We share all kinds of news with folks. We're really good at sharing bad news. We do that pretty well. We're even pretty good at sharing news that isn't that important. We eat at a great restaurant. What do we do? We tell our friends they ought to go and check it out. We go to a movie that we really enjoy and so we recommend it to our friends. We go on a vacation and it's a wonderful experience. And so what do we do when we get home? We tell folks all about the experience that we had. We're good at telling folks about things that in the grand scheme of life don't really amount to very much. We're even good at telling folks about things that, well, they do amount to a little. We go on a good diet, makes us feel better. We tell people. We find a doctor who meets our need, makes us feel better. We tell people. But how do we do when it comes to telling folks about what God has done for us in our life through Jesus Christ? How do we do with that? It's not easy. It's not always easy. I know a lot of folks would just as soon show their faith through their actions, and that's good because actions do speak louder than words, but sometimes words are needed. Sometimes words need to be spoken. And... I mean, I've been around for a while. I've talked to a lot of people about this kind of thing. I know some folks are afraid of sharing their faith with people they know for fear of being rejected, for fear of losing a friend. And I think to myself, what kind of friend is that? That all you can talk about is restaurants and movies and vacations, but you can't talk about what's most important to you in your life? what's central to you in your life about who it is that you really are? What kind of friend is that? But you can't talk about what's really important. And don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that we pressure people into believing what we believe. That's not our job. The pervenient grace of God is at work in people's lives. God does the pressuring. All I'm suggesting is that we have the courage to be honest. To be honest about who we are, about what we believe. Be honest with other people. I know some folks are afraid to talk about their faith for fear of saying the wrong thing or fear of getting it wrong. And if and if talking about our faith was some kind of a theological exercise, then I could understand why it is that we'd be afraid of getting something wrong, but I'm not so certain that's what it really is. I'm thinking it's more about just sharing experiences. And you can't get those wrong. You know your experience. You know how to talk about the things you've experienced in your life. So we start there. Let me give you three quick suggestions to help you think about being prepared to talk about your faith. The first one, I've talked about this often, the importance of remembering our story. Remember how you've experienced God at work In your life, remember the times that you've experienced an answer to prayer. Remember the times where you've experienced the providence of God watching over you or protecting you or guiding you. Remember what it is that Christ has done for you, the changes that He's brought to your life, the joy that you have because of Him, the hope that you have in eternal life. Remember. And in remembering, Take some time over the next days or weeks or even months. Take some time. Write down your story. Write down the story of prayers that have been answered in your life. Write down the times you've experienced the providence of God. Write down the difference that Jesus has made for you in your life and how your life has been made different because of him. Write down the purpose that you now have because of your faith in him, the healing that has come to you in your life because of him. Write about the changes that have taken place. In three weeks from today, I'm going to launch a new series of sermons entitled 20 Questions. And within these 20 questions, there might very well be prompts to help you think about your own story. Take some time to to write it. Down. Having written it down, let me suggest a second thing, and that is to practice listening to other people. We're good at listening to other people and then quickly offering some kind of response. But what I'm suggesting is that we withhold offering a response too quickly, and we listen a little bit more. That we listen deeply. We listen to try to to hear what it is that a person is struggling with, what it is that a person is afraid of what it is that a person is battling, what it is that a person is experiencing and the brokenness that they carry with them, the pain that they feel, to take that time to truly listen to what's going on deep within a person's life and in listening to be paying attention to your own story. Because it might very well be that when you find out what's really going on in somebody's life, you have a story of a time you were in that place That you can bring to that person it could very well become the greatest gift the person receives so listen and the third thing listen also for the prompting of the Holy Spirit that spirit that nudges us nudges us to act You can nudge us in simple ways like a name coming to our mind of somebody we haven't thought of in a while and suddenly they're on our mind, then maybe that's the prompting of the Spirit. Call them up. It might be that they need to hear your voice and what you say might make all the difference in the world to them. Pay attention to the nudging of the Spirit. Maybe you're in a conversation with some people or with a person. and In the midst of that conversation, you start sensing that maybe maybe you need to say something about your faith. Well, Take a deep breath say a little prayer and speak say something say something and if you don't know what to say then offer to pray for the person i've known very few people in my life who refused someone's request to pray for them pray if you don't know how to pray my introduction to prayer workshops in two weeks Two weeks from today, okay? Right after this service of worship, so stick around for that workshop. I'll teach you how to pray for somebody else. And if you can't do that, at least invite them to church. I mean, we know the Spirit of God is alive and at work in this place. We experience it all the time. Who knows? Maybe the person will hear the word they need to hear when they are here. Jesus says to go and make disciples. Teach people to baptize them. In Acts, he says, you will be my witnesses to all the world. What he's talking about is loving people enough to care about their well-being and to offer them something that their spirit longs for, that maybe they've been searching for for a very long time. To offer that word. We don't force people to believe anything. All we do is tell our story. Be honest about what's important to you in your life. God will do the rest. And thanks be to God for that. Amen? Amen.